This is In Conversation from Apple News Today. I'm Duarte Geraldino. Every weekend, we're taking you deeper into the best journalism on Apple News. Earlier this year, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg went to Washington, D.C. Lawmakers were calling for the tech industry to be more regulated, so he appeared before Congress. During the session, Congresswoman Kathy McMorris Rogers brought up how, in her community, there was a huge increase in suicides. What's left our kids with a deep sense of brokenness? Why do children, including kids we've lost in middle school, feel so empty at such a young, vulnerable age? Well, some studies are confirming what parents in my community already know. Too much time on screens and social media is leading to loneliness and despair. So, Mr. Zuckerberg, yes or no, do you agree too much time in front of screens, passively consuming content is harmful to children's mental health? Zuckerberg's response? The research that we've seen is that using social apps to to connect with other people can have positive mental health benefits. And while that statement wasn't entirely untrue, it wasn't the full picture either. Reporters at the Wall Street Journal got their hands on Facebook's own internal research. It shows Instagram, which is a platform that Facebook owns, is seriously harmful to the mental health of teenagers. And that was particularly true for teen girls. It reveals this gulf at times between how the company is talking about itself internally and how it understands its own problems and how it talks about them publicly. And that's common at companies, but the gulf here is just massive. That's reporter Georgia Wells at the Wall Street Journal. She worked on this story with her colleagues Jeff Horwitz and Deepa Sitharaman. This five-part series is called The Facebook Files. It is the most comprehensive look to date about Facebook and how it makes decisions about content that could be considered harmful and dangerous. The series also goes into why, even though Facebook's own employees are raising the alarm, the social network is reportedly doing so little to stop it. They don't really know what to do about this because they built this thing that is a really effective machine for social comparison, and now they're trying to figure out how to tile it back, and that hasn't really worked very well. I spoke with Jeff Horowitz and Georgia Wells about the company's internal documents, which, among other things, show Instagram is not only making body images worse for one in three teen girls, but also driving some to have suicidal thoughts. Wells began by sharing the story of 13-year-old Anastasia Velasova. Mm-hmm. I think she's, thinks she's, or she says she's in a good spot now. But what happened was she signed up for Instagram when she was 13 years old. And she was really drawn to content from fitness influencers. And at first, it was inspiring for her. And then she became inspired to create some of this content herself. And she started to see it affect her and kind of create almost an obsession to match the bodies and the diets of these adult fitness influencers. And at the time, she's 13, 14 years old, and she's posting content, you know, really focused on how other people might perceive it and might see her. And she starts to see and notice Instagram is triggering this eating disorder for her and also these really negative thoughts and this anxiety. Her experience is reflected in the documents when the when Facebook and Instagram and the researchers are talking about this thing called negative social comparison. 
And that's that thing, this thing that happens when people are looking at content on Instagram, but it can also be other apps or, you know, media. And rather than this perspective of, oh, I'm learning about this other person, it's, well, how do I stack up next to them? And this is a phrase that Facebook uses, negative Negative social social comparison. Yeah, exactly. That's very clear in many, many of the documents. And they spell out that that negative social comparison is worse on Instagram than on other social media apps, which is this kind of defining moment because until now, so much of the company's responses have been more along the lines of like, well, these aren't kind of Instagram-specific problems. These are social media problems. I was struck by how granular your research was. You got these internal documents, a presentation where it says 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. What does Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook leadership say about this internal report? Uh, Did he see this as a problem? So Facebook has responded by saying, yes, they're aware of it. I think the company publicly for a long time, Adam Seri, the head of Instagram, uh, referred to the effects of social media on mental health as small and bi-directional. So, you know, good for some people, bad for others. Obviously, the documents we saw seem hard to reconcile with small effects. And and I think the company has acknowledged at this point uh, in talking to us that these problems, even if they are not, you know, in the most serious form, super widespread, that they are a very big deal, right? And we found that uh, in the documents that some users actually traced thoughts of self-harm and suicide directly back to the platform. And that's obviously major. Um, And, you know, I think the company hasn't really had too much to say in terms of sort of why it hasn't made the magnitude of this stuff clear. Um, They have noted absolutely that causality is not clear, which is, you know, any social scientist continues the truth. But that said, we're talking about their senior research scientists who wrote the phrase, we make body image issues worse in one in three teen girls. There's no question what the company believes. Uh, the company internally believes that this is the case. In the media, in this country in particular, a lot of outlets promote unrealistic standards of beauty. Why and how is Instagram so different? Why are we holding Facebook and its companies to a higher standard? One of the things that comes out of the documents is addictive product mechanics. I mean, many of the teens I spoke to said they're spending four or five hours a day on Instagram. And people could spend that amount of time looking at fashion magazines. But it's common for teen girls to spend a lot of time on Instagram. There's also aspects around, it's like this culture highlight reel or this highlight reel of the best moments of people's lives or what they're sharing on Instagram. Instagram by design is going to show you your friends and their friends' most popular posts, and you're going to be comparing them to your average post. So it's always going to be kind of a grim comparison, right? Um, and so there's there's kind of that inherent mechanic. And then there's also just kind of other features, right? First of all, the recommendation systems in particular in the explore section, right? That, you know, it's not like a magazine notices you, noticed in, in the 90s, noticed you lingering on a photo of Kate Moss and then like basically sent you down a rabbit hole toward like, you know, excessively skinny people magazine, right? Like that's not a thing that happened. That's what Instagram does do. Instagram has built kind of a whole series of feedback loops 
that I think do separate it from magazines. You know, yes, all, all of these problems exist elsewhere. They exist on TV. They exist in magazines. They, you know, exist in high school. But shouldn't there be some thinking about whether all of the features are a net positive? Everyone always looks at that like button and counting the number of likes that you get as a measure of self-worth. I understand that uh, Facebook was considering experimenting with that like button. Facebook did experiment with it. So the origin of that was Instagram, these researchers, they heard from users that this like count was causing them anxiety, that it's basically in a way for people to quantify their popularity and compare it to other people. So they start this experiment to hide the like counts from some users and see if that kind of made them feel better. And so they were tracking both kind of whether users were sharing onto Instagram more frequently, but also they had some questions that got at their mental health when they were using the app. And when they took away this like count, they found that it didn't really move the needle on like improving people's mental health and how they felt about the platform. So Facebook does this experiment. They find it doesn't improve things. And yet they decide to roll it out. And we can see in the planning documents when they're talking about rolling it out, they say that launching this tool could be a way to signal to parents and to the press that Instagram cares about mental health. Wait a minute. And so this literally. wasn't for the benefit of the users. You're saying it was for the benefit of the perception of Facebook and Instagram. It's the optics. Yeah. This idea that there is a negative correlation between Facebook content and mental health is something that, at least in public, the executives have downplayed. In a 2021 congressional hearing, um, we saw Mark Zuckerberg say, research shows social media has a positive impact on mental health. How do we reconcile public statements that say that Facebook has a positive impact and what you're telling me right now, that it has such a negative impact? I think in that statement, he was threading a really fine needle. I think if I recall correctly, it was something along the lines of like, Instagram can have a positive impact. And sure, like in these documents, the researchers make clear that these issues around negative social comparison do not affect all teenagers. And for most teenagers, the positive impacts and effects of social media, like on Instagram and their ability to connect with other people and express themselves, that tends to outweigh the negative effects. But in that moment, Mark's statement didn't reflect this growing body of evidence that's accumulating internally at Instagram that is showing that for some teens, in particular teens who have some vulnerabilities, who get to Instagram and who maybe have some mental health issues, that it appears that the use of Instagram can really exacerbate what they're feeling. I guess, I guess to sort of, to justify Mark Zuckerberg's statement, it turns out that social comparison is something everyone feels in, in a lot of different areas. I compare myself to other men, to other reporters, and sometimes quite unfavorably, right? Uh, that said, we all deal with this. Um, and I think the thing that is kind of surprising and different about this is the degree to which Instagram seemed to take that problem and for people who were vulnerable to it, make it worse. Um, 
you know, it, it's fine for most girls um, and most boys who also have similar effects, although it tends to be more focused on like wealth and social status than it does on body and 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 so forth. But, um, you know, I think for most people, it, it does turn out being fine. It's just the question is, what are the casualties? And, and uh, you know, I think you could certainly say the company has not been very clear about um, what the costs are and and for whom. This reporting raises questions about what responsibility Facebook has to its users, how it makes decisions about the internal-facing and public-facing sides of the company. I asked Horowitz and Wells if the company's public statements amount to lying. For some parents of teenagers, it may have felt that way. In the course of the reporting for this, I spoke with many, many teens and many, many parents of teens. And one of the things that's come through from them, and also now in my email inbox from messages from lots of parents, is this issue around what happens when a company researches itself and finds something that's negative. And maybe there's an expectation that a company doesn't necessarily have to show its negative research if it's around, you know, a widget breaks sooner than it meant to. But one of the things some of the parents have brought up is it, almost this assumption they had had that if Instagram detected anything that could be harmful to their children's health, that they would be made aware of it. And so I think there's kind of this aspect of broken trust that, from what these parents are describing to me. It's not, it's not like a, it's not a lie. They're not lying. I think this is more of a problem of we currently are reliant on them to tell us this stuff. And, uh, you know, I think that, that, you know, one, we need to be very skeptical of what the companies have to say for themselves on this front. And that's not just Facebook. And two, I think we need to think about whether outsiders need to be, ha need to have some access, regardless of how unpleasant that is for the companies um, that, you know, a product this societally important. And as we've found this potentially life altering, um, probably needs some external oversight. I want to turn briefly to part three. You talk about how Facebook tried to make its algorithm different so that the platform was nicer, more pleasant. How did that work? Yeah, they, um, so they, they in 2018, kind of reframed around something called meaningful social interaction. Um, and the idea was that this is kind of based on some very loosely based on some sort of external research and criticism um, called the time well spent movement by Tristan Harris. And um, the idea was that passive scrolling wasn't good. And so Facebook's version of that was, okay, if passive scrolling is not good, we're going to basically encourage people to engage as much as possible. And part of the change that they made was to increase friends and family content, which is actually just an objectively good thing in terms of content quality per the company's own research. But the other part they did was to really preference material that thrived under high engagement conditions. So basically things that could go viral and things that were likely to get people to sort of respond with either emojis or comments or by direct message sharing it with other people or RSVPing in the case of events. So, you know, the, the idea was just to get people involved and sort of like actively connecting with the content they saw. And they didn't really study this 
to a great degree in terms of what the fallout was going to be. But the, the net was that it, by their own research, basically encouraged people to be angry because it turns out that flame wars are very highly engaging and incendiary stuff is very highly engaging. And so what Facebook ended up doing was not just privileging content that was kind of made people fight, but incentivizing content producers to make people fight. And this is something that they saw with both political parties and with foreign and with media outlets, right? BuzzFeed's Jonah Peretti basically wrote to the head of Newsfeed at Facebook in 2019 and was like, can you please change this? This is incentivizing us to, to produce bad stuff. And, you know, basically the things that are succeeding best are fighting medical, gross medical stuff. And, you know, things that were just kind of people tended to just like pound their keyboards in, in horror or anger or shock when they saw it. And, you know, likewise, political parties were actually telling Facebook that they were changing their platforms, not just their messaging, but their platforms to be more adversarial and kind of attacky um, in the interest of getting more engagement. Some reporters who cover Facebook describe how Mark Zuckerberg doesn't just view Facebook as a business venture or social media company. He sees it almost as a public utility. And any decision that contributes to people using Facebook less is bad for the world. If the company takes that position, then shouldn't it be subject to government regulation and oversight just like any other utility? I think the utility comparison is an interesting one. Um, you know, and there've been a, a whole bunch of other comparisons, right? Like with the, the stuff that George and I did, you know, Adam Masseri was comparing the platform to, you know, automobiles. But it, yeah, I think, look, the bigger and more influential and more impactful an industry is, the more traditionally, I think we've all concluded the public has a right, not just to know what's going on inside, but also to, you know, have a say in it, right? Like the idea of, you know, we have a say in, in, in how phone and internet and how, um, you know, gas and electric works. Like these are things that we are view as quasi public goods. And, and we, you know, it's not like someone can just sort of change the prices on them or change the way they work willy nilly. Like there's going to be, have to be consent from the people who are receiving the services. And I don't know that exists yet with social media. In fact, it definitely, in fact, I know it doesn't exist yet with social media, right? We don't, we don't apply that standard to these companies, even as they are very clearly offering services of the same category of importance, sort of above my, my pay grade to say whether or not, you know, these companies should be regulated as utilities. But I, I certainly don't think it's an unhealthy discussion for people who aren't me to be having. So Jeff, in your reporting, you detail a lot of potential fixes for all of this. What could and should Facebook be doing? I, I think the things that our reporting shows is that there are, there are a lot of different ways that people inside the company who have been hired to address these problems have suggested, in fact, in many instances, have even tested and found to be effective that would address many of the integrity-related problems the platform has. The platform doesn't like them because they tend to come at the expense of engagement. And engagement is what Facebook does. So there are a lot of ways that Facebook could just simply listen to the people it hired. And candidly, if it did listen to the people it hired, 
they probably wouldn't go around talking to people like me. Uh, but beyond that, I think, you know, I think sort of what Facebook could do and should do is perhaps even the wrong question. I think it's, the question is more like, can we use the information that we are able to get out of the company? And we, I'm saying we as a society overall to come up with, first of all, a better system of getting information because asking, you know, hoping that reporters are going to just sort of like end up getting things dumped on them um, to understand what this societally transforming technology is actually doing it isn't a good strategy. Uh, it certainly isn't uh, replicable. Trust me, I'd like to, but, but it is not replicable. Um, and it's also, I think, something where these issues are kind of too important to be determined from inside of Facebook. And I think as, as the stuff we've been talking about shows, Facebook, it's hard to trust Facebook to be sort of a neutral presenter of the information that it itself has learned. So it seems to me like rather than focusing on kind of what the, the immediate fix to Facebook is, that probably we'd all be better off focusing on how to get information out of the company and and basically trying to give attention to the people who have worked there. Georgia Wells, Jeff Horowitz, tech reporters, The Wall Street Journal, thank you so much for being on Apple News today. Thank you for having us. Jeff Horowitz and Georgia Wells' article from the Facebook files is available as an audio story for Apple News Plus subscribers. iPhone users can subscribe in the Apple News app.